0: So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week, To give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's guest is Megan Bruno, and her and I go way back. We're talking Tumblr days. We both started as bloggers, and it's been a treat to watch her thrive. And make a huge dent in this world. She's a therapist, executive coach, and the author of How to Be Alone and Together, 72 Lessons on Being at Peace with Yourself. She helps her clients and readers gain the awareness and psycho-spiritual tools necessary to do the shit that scares them and to create the life they deserve. What I love about Megan is she is transparent. She documents her story. She is honest and I just think she's so courageous. Enjoy, Megan Bruno. Megan, first I want to say uh, thank you for being a host and a contributor. I think you bring a lot of value, uh, not only because you're a therapist and, and of course, you've helped thousands in your practice. Uh, you're also you know, a content creator, blogger, speaker, all that stuff. But especially because you, like me, share uh, your own story and um you've been through a lot of a lot of things well like everyone else you know
1: <laughs> and, and yes. you've
0: been single and you've been in relationships and you've been single and you've been in relationships
1: <laughs> so, yes yeah so, such as the crazy making pattern of life it seems um but yes thank you for saying that john and i mean i think i say this on every podcast that we're on together but you have been such an inspiration for me in sharing my story and like such a trailblazer and um Kind of going against like what the traditional um model was of being a therapist which was like be the blank slate and pretend that you know you have all your shit together i feel yeah. like you and i are both were like we have all these issues we're dealing with too like so right thank you for moving that path
0: yeah you're you're brutally honest and uh almost to the point where uh um we're gonna start getting competitive to see who's more <laughs> honest and raw <laughs> um but yeah we go we go way back i feel like i went to high school with you
1: I know. I know. It does you feel know? that way, doesn't it? I mean, I guess, yeah, it's been, I, I mean, t- almost it's eight, it's even eight years, at least it's been 2014 was when we met. So that's, that's significant.
0: Mind, body, green, revitalize.
1: Yeah. In the age Back of like very short, yeah. short relationships and, you know, transient friendships and fears of intimacy. We've had a long still, relationship, John.
0: Do you still blog the way that, that you used to or no? No. I Meaning you know, the amount of time. Yeah.
1: I don't. And you know, I was actually thinking about this yesterday because I was like, why don't I like write as much anymore? And perhaps some of it's that I just, you know, My energy is going other places, but I think actually like the, it's like the more I learn, the more I'm like, how naive was I to like, think that I could be an authority on this thing. Like, I almost feel like Mm -hmm. the more I learn, the more I'm like, I don't actually know anything at all. And who am I to speak on this topic? So we'll see how that goes for our conversation today, because I, uh, you know, might be like, it could be this and it could be this, but there is no right or wrong.
0: You know, that sounds like to me, um, you evolving because it sounds very, uh, Buddhist, to say yes,
1: yes I know nothing <laughs> it, totally I know nothing right. I feel so I I almost look at my I cringe a little bit to be honest when I and I and with compassion mm-hmm. like I like compassionately cringe at my younger self and some of the content I put out there and I'm like oh sweetheart like I think that helped some people which is great and it was entertaining and also like there's a completely different lens to look at this through that could be equally as valid. And so, you know, I think we just want to be mindful in the age of so much content out there to just look at it all through like a critical lens where like it could serve some people, but if it doesn't serve you, like that doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. It might just mean that it's not the right fit
0: for you. So this podcast is obviously for single people, but it's also for anyone, even if you're in a relationship uh, to connect to yourself first. Uh, For me, it started with a divorce. When you think about your singlehood journey and you've been on many, what's the first one that kind of comes to mind?
1: <laughs> I like the way you frame it. Are that. you laughing or crying?
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Exactly. Well, like,
1: you've, you've been, from my understanding, you've been heartbroken many times <laughs> from your oversharing Well, no, we, I mean, so I, have,
0: I have as well. <laughs> totally. We all have. I mean, Totally, it, totally. And, no. and I think the whole point is that we talk about that yes, instead of, totally. um, you know, pretending like that didn't happen or, you know, filing it, you know, in the cabinet. somewhere.
1: Exactly. And I think like heartbreak is such a spiritual opportunity. I mean, I look back on every, every experience that I've had of, you know, either heartbreak or heartache and, you know, or becoming single against my will. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. Like not in the moment. I I struggle. Yeah. Never in the moment, of course. Recent, I went through like a pretty rough breakup, um, this past year and, um, in that, even in that moment, I could be like, look, I know I'm going to get to a point where I'm grateful for this. And it was such an incredible spiritual lesson on so many levels and really helped me like tap into my childhood trauma and like learn things about my father that I never had, you know, realized before and stuff like that. Very cliche stuff, you know, repetition compulsion, as we call it, as therapists, yes. where we, like repeat our childhood trauma. But anyway, so in terms of like my singlehood journey that I've been on many, as you said, what was the question you were asking? <laughs> Sorry, if I was lost to see-
0: If I was to say to pick one, what, Mm -hmm. um, without thinking, what kind of Mm -hmm. comes to mind? Would it be your last one? Cause I know that one was difficult.
1: Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, look, I'd say I've had two massive, um, Mm -hmm. heartbreaks in my life, um, 10 years apart and they were both, I I don't think I can say like one was more formative than the other. Were they very um, different? Uh, Yes. I mean, of course, we are very different, but there was a a similarity of um, wanting to, again, so much childhood stuff reenacted, but like wanting to prove myself and prove my worth and be chosen and be seen and be loved in the way that I didn't believe I was, you know, growing up Um, and ultimately uh, feeling abandoned, you know, when that was like my my biggest fear and all of that kind of stuff. But the, the lesson, you know, I mean, there were multiple lessons in both of them, but, you know, the first one really actually sent me down the path of spirituality, right? Like it, mm-hmm. until that point, like I was, let's see, that was um, twenty. How old were you? 11. I was 24 at the time. Oh, um,
0: you said so 11. I, I thought 24. you meant you oh. said 11 and you're doing math was, in your head, yeah. You said 11 I was like you're 11 years old that was wow at
1: 11 years old <laughs> yeah. that's when I discovered Buddhism
0: <laughs> right right so. I was like wow at 11 you went spiritual that's yeah. amazing um yeah. 24 you said so it's around, yeah which is actually that's you know early 20s is when we experience I think you know the first shatter you know the first totally like, you know big heartbreak yeah
1: it was like it was my first experience of um realizing that these like scripts we follow in life that we internalize through like disney movies and fairy tales and stuff like that it was my first experience of being like oh this actually isn't true like it you know you can do all the things and you can't control whether or not someone leaves you or whether or not you're heartbroken and until that point like i was really struggling actually with eating disorders at the time Mm -hmm. and that had been my journey like eating disorders and depression and anxiety and I'd kind of hey, do real real quick, um, I just want to say yeah.
0: I just want to say uh, I'm going to interrupt you many times because interrupt,
1: that's, please that's
0: I talk that. forever. Interrupt. Um, <laughs> I also want to applaud you being so open with eating disorders. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I worked at an eating disorder treatment center, running groups for uh, for many years, um, private and then also some nonprofit stuff. And it's you know it's one of those things where it's very shame based, and not yeah, a lot of people totally. talk about it. And so you talking about that openly um, on your Instagram, uh, photos and, and just confessionals and stuff, I think helps so many people struggling. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And I think, oh, god,
0: Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I was going to call this episode, but now I know it's going to be called, uh, my first heartbreak. So 24, 24, 24, uh, struggling with an eating disorder, Um, was it just happening or was it like full blown? Like it was, it was, uh, it was difficult.
1: It was pretty full blown at that point. So I started with bulimia for many years from when I was like 15. Mm -hmm. So I'd been struggling with bulimia for like eight years. And then in the last couple of years, um, before this massive heartbreak, I started actually like working at a gym. I was, it was so ironic. I was finishing my master's degree in psychology and I was like in the throes of at that time anorexia,
0: I was working at a gym
1: on the side as a personal trainer. Like I was like really deep in that. And perfectionism, which really is this right. kind of like house of cards strategy for managing our shame. Like if I look perfect, if I act perfect, right. then, you know, I can prevent heartbreak, shame, you know, abandonment, any of those sorts of things, rejection, failure. And so I was like doing all the things and I like graduated from my prestigious master's program. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, very underweight. And like, I thought I'd checked all the boxes and my boyfriend of three years, um, who I totally thought at that time, like I was going to marry and whatever. um, He ended up uh, leaving me and actually, you know, my understanding is that he sort of left me for someone else. And that had been mm. my biggest fear because that's actually what happened with my parents. Right. So my dad left my mom a number of times, ultimately four times, but, um, was having an affair. Oh, wait, how, and-
0: what do you mean by four So as you were growing up, I'm assuming, uh, early on your dad left and came back, left and came back. Exactly. Four times. So yeah. What, how did this affect you as a kid seeing that experience? Um,
1: so I think it was very confusing. Um, I yeah. was eight between eight and you know, about, nine or 10 was like the kind of over the course of a couple of years he left and came back a number of times and was having an affair with um uh someone he, he was a lawyer and was having an affair with somebody at his firm mm-hmm. and this was like very hard on my mom obviously right yeah. um, and i think as my for my brother and me like we were just sort of confused and didn't really understand what was happening um our parents not right. like our parents i think had a good marriage before that like we were the kids that were always at the top of the stairs like listening to our parents scream at each other right so like it's, you know, I think in, in many cases, an affair is just a symptom, right, of there being challenges already within the relationship. My parents were that classic, like, anxious, avoidant, extremely anxious from all my mom's end, extremely avoidant on my dad's end, a bit of that kind of, like, NPD, BPD stuff mixed in there. And so it was, um, it, it you know, it wasn't a healthy situation anyway, but then I think right. that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And so in terms of how it affected us, um, or affected me, I should say, like, I think, you know, at that time, when my dad left, my mom left, too, because she was, like, incapacitated, right, and yeah. emotionally, and and really struggled, and, you know, had a lot of her own mental health um, and addictions challenges as well. So I think it just caused me to grow up really young, and I remember being, like, eight years old, and being kind of, like, on the edge of her bed, like, supporting her, and, you know, being her... Oh, growing therapist. up fast.
0: Totally, yeah, growing yeah. up super
1: fast, and being friendified. and, um, you know, that also instilled in me some codependent tendencies, which we might get into today, um, yes. where... Wait, yeah. sorry, I
0: got interrupted again. Um, let me just footnote. Uh, yeah, I I just um, interviewed yesterday, uh, Melody Beattie. The, oh my
1: god, amazing! Yeah. Look at you, uh, I've
0: been crushing it, John. I just she, love it. She, she wrote uh, "Codependency No More." Uh, yeah. in the in the eighties, and it's crazy because uh, I mean, I think before her, there could, no one even knew what codependency. She like actually no. gave it language, which was totally from, yeah, yeah. So she, listen, um, listening I can't to that, the name. And
1: then, yeah. The, we'll the listen who to were, women who loved too much. Oh, sorry. you that mm. out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there were two, Yeah, I would say four mothers for when it comes to codependency. Yeah. But, um, she's obviously a huge one. Seven million copies sold. Wow. Can you believe that? Well, yeah. yeah, because
1: it resonates for so many of us, right? Like, you know, being able to have a label to to understand like, oh, huh, I'm like a Abandoning myself constantly because I fear yes. being abandoned by another, or I get myself worth out of taking yes. care of someone, or I only feel relevant and worthy in the world if I feel needed by someone else. Yes, and so and me, and
0: like well, what what hit me is when you said parentified, and then mm-hmm. uh, she was saying that if you grow up um, without having a safe tree, if you grow up yeah. where you know you have to grow up fast, or if you grow up where. Uh, the attachment with your parents isn't healthy and safe. Uh, I grew up with my parents were are always gone because they're working. Um, right. Then that's kind of where code de- the seed of codependency can start. And so totally. uh, as you're telling me the story, and we just have interviewed her yesterday, I'm um, connecting dots, you know, and it's making
1: Totally. Sense. Well, and it's so interesting because it's like, you know, we learn how to love in the context of our our childhood relationships, right? Or our relationships with our parents. And so what I learned, what my like love math was, or what I learned love was, was, you know, with my dad, I, it was sort of feeling neglected, to be honest, and never mm-hmm. really feeling important or good enough and only kind of getting attention if I was like, you know, getting A's or getting awards or scoring goals. And even then, like kind of didn't really feel that important um, or seen or valued. And so that kind of kicked me into a pattern with men where I was always trying to like prove myself and prove my love and care for me and pay attention to me. And that felt very familiar. And then with my mom, it was very much like taking care of her, her emotional needs and like needing to be her therapist and only feeling safe and like worthy if I was needed. Right, so that also kicked right. me into certain relationships, you know, romantic and otherwise, friendships and things as well, where I felt like our our um, conversations had to always center around someone else's like problems, you know, or they needed to like need me in some way, and that gave me a sense of security because I wasn't going to be abandoned, or I might, you know, get the attention that I needed or have my needs met as I did as a child when, you know, if my mom was doing better, then we'd be more likely to, you know, have like an actual dinner or whatever. Um, but you know, it it uh, also creates this pretty, um, um, unserving relationship to, to love or relationships where you, you can't just exist together and believe that like you're worthy and enough. And there's kind of this chronic anxiety that you're going to be left unless you're like, you're serving some purpose for someone, Mm -hmm. which has kind of been my journey, honestly, up until even today.
0: So, um, I'm curious, does this ripple with the friendships? So I wonder if, so with women, I wonder if you're the one that everyone comes to for advice, you take care of them, like kind of uh, mm-hmm. the tracks that are related with you and your mom. And then I wonder with men, especially love interests, um, you are seeking um, the, uh, the the validation approval and uh, afraid or the false belief that they will leave, you know? Totally, yeah. Kind of thing.
1: yeah. Absolutely. I mean, both those things are are very accurate. Um, I My journey w- has been one of, learning how to set boundaries, um, which again is, is not an unusual journey for many of us who perceive ourselves as codependent or, um, parentified or whatever. So when it comes to friendships, you know, I have been really lucky that, um, one of my like places of resilience in a lot of sort of chaos in my childhood was my, my female friendships. So I had very, very good girlfriends that actually mm-hmm. to this day at 36 years old, I still have like constant contact with. Nice. Um, yeah. And so, you know, just for, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that because I sometimes wonder like, not, they were my safe kind of attachment figures, right. Where yeah, I did learn that yeah. I was loved unconditionally and I could get in a fight with someone and, you know, I could be imperfect and they really like were witnesses to my life and have seen me through the most challenging periods of my life, you know, and even today. Um, so I did have, I'd say several, very healthy, um, like examples of, of mm-hmm. relating and those existed within my, my friendships. Um, however, I also have learned and I continue to learn that, I do tend to, um, be a bit of a, like moth to a flame when it comes to people who might be more on that, like personality disorder spectrum when it comes to like, I mean, you know, borderline personality disorder or narcissism or things like that, because I am very much kind of like drawn to trauma and, you know, I have a lot of my own and, and. What know,
0: about, like, what about addiction? Like addicts? addiction?
1: To- totally. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like any place where I can see myself, like, um taking care somebody, of, right. Taking yeah, care and Trying to save yeah. someone. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize that you don't have to be friends with everyone who wants to be friends with you. You know, like I, especially mm. when I moved to New York and I didn't <laughs> right. actually have like a network of friends there. Um, I mean, that's where I live right now. I'm in Austin at the moment, but, um, you know, when I moved to New York, I remember being like, Oh, okay. Clean slate. I was like 28 years old or whatever. And I was like, I don't have any friends. I didn't know anybody there. And so I was like, okay. Mm. Like, Oh, you want to be a friend? Okay. Sounds great. And then I would start hanging out with people and I'd be like, I don't know, there's something that doesn't feel right about this, or this feels kind of unhealthy Uh, or weird. And it was strange for me because I was used to really healthy friendships back home. And so it's actually been interesting. Like the past eight years, I've really been like honing in on my skills of like, okay, that person wants to be friends with me or they want to hang out. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to. And I do Mm -hmm. think not unlike relationships, when we get to a certain age. There, sometimes, like, when a person really wants to be your friend or really wants to date you at an age at which, like, we kind of should have those, those relationships established. Unless someone mm-hmm. has, like, just moved to a city, sometimes there's a the reason why somebody, like, doesn't have stable friendships, right? Like, they still have a lot of trauma they haven't worked through. And there might be a bit of, um, some, yeah, unhelpful characteristics there that we need to protect ourselves from. And learning boundaries and learning to, like, say no to people who I perceive to be suffering to protect mm-hmm. myself has been right. very, very fucking challenging, but also yeah. incredibly rewarding and empowering. And like it to, 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 learn like, Oh, actually I can protect myself is like the most, I think the most empowering thing that we can, especially if we have relational trauma, which I do, which most of us do, right. To be able to recognize, okay, I can protect myself now. Like that is such an empowering place to come to. And something I think all of we singles or all humans out there should learn.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you don't, then there's always going to be a leak, right?
1: Totally. Uh, a crack in yeah. your life
0: container because you're allowing people to come in who are unhealthy. So just the revelation that you can choose friends and not everyone who you are friendly with has to be your friend is, is huge. And this is, you know what, when you're single, this is the the, the best time to kind of clean house.
1: Totally. And I think it's really hard. And I mean, there are a number of things that are hard in this day of, you know, technology and social media and constant communication. Like, there used to be a time where if you didn't really want to be friends with someone, unless they ran in your core group, or or have a relationship with someone for that matter, unless Mm -hmm. they ran in your core group, like, they had to show up at your house basically to like, you know, make you right. feel really uncomfortable and like set the boundary. Right. But now right. it's like, okay, but they're responding to my Instagram story, but they're like sending me a text, but they're asking me yeah. to do thing, Like text, 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 Instagram, you know, whatever, social media, that kind of thing. So it's a lot harder to be like, like, no, like,
0: they can get, get a hold of you in so many ways. It's so like many ways, through the side right? window through the front door, right? Exactly. Uh, or coming down the exactly. chimney. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where there was a time where it's like, okay, like you can kind of like, like separate. It, it's a lot harder. And for you won't see
0: them. Right, right. Exactly. You won't that see is them. true. So it's,
1: it takes like a fucking warrior to be able to really set boundaries with people that we, we need set boundaries with, you know, both physically yeah, and emotionally.
0: And if you unfollow or block and they know people take that very personally
1: totally totally so, and again when we're talking about trauma i mean so much of like you know I, I think both of us look at things oftentimes through an attachment lens and if we have some more of that like insecure attachment where we struggle to set boundaries or um you know we don't necessarily know how to communicate or we tend to go more into that fight or flight mode in the face of conflict versus being able to navigate it in a healthy way something yeah. like setting a boundary with somebody who could lash out at us like if we learn that setting a boundary growing up meant we're going to be attacked like physically or verbally or maybe neglected given the silent treatment by a parent or like, you know, manipulated in some way, then the thought of setting a boundary is really scary. So it's not so simple as just being like, oh, just set the boundary. It's like, okay, we have to work through our nervous system's response to even anticipating setting that boundary, which is like, holy shit, if I do this, then I'm going to be attacked. And like, we have to remind ourselves like we're safe and it's okay. And do what we need to protect ourselves from any repercussions of, of saying no, essentially.
0: You're 24, this is the big one. The first time your heart has been shattered. Uh, You're going, struggling with eating disorder, working at the gym, uh, uh, studying psychology. What do you do? How did you start rebuilding yourself? How did you get um, over, I don't know if the word is getting over a breakup, but how did you start healing?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think, so the first thing that was really impactful for me um, was I had, at the time, because of all of my you know, eating disorder behavior, I had been over-exercising so much that I had mm-hmm. a bunch of injuries, and my physical therapist was like, you can't keep working out in this way. You're going to be a cripple, basically. And so oh. you, the only thing you can do is yoga. And Wait, what I were you, never, tell me,
0: tell me what you were doing. Give me an example of what just, overexercising was.
1: Just like running for, I mean, I was in kilometers at the time, but I was running like a half marathon a day, you know, like I was just oh my like God, all, right, so much running right. and like a lot of, and just like weightlifting and stuff, circuit training, like at the gym and yeah. so just like, and, just and not a lot of stretching, just constant, yeah. just like, and, and, you know, I do believe now when I look back, I was just trying to regulate my nervous system. I was just trying to navigate my anxiety. And mm. that was the only way that I knew to kind of like move stuff through my body. I've obviously since learned much healthier ways to get into my body. Um,
0: it was a way of numbing. Can... Exercising exactly, was almost a way of, yeah. It, but... was,
1: it was a way of numbing. And like, I think in sometimes it helped me process things and move things through in terms of trauma, but much of the time it was just a disconnection from my body versus a connection yeah. to it. And so I started um, doing yoga begrudgingly because my physical therapist was like, this is the only thing you can do. And I noticed that, like, it was helping me physically in terms of my injuries. But I also, like, started sleeping a bit better. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I started crying a lot more like in the yoga room and whatnot I was like oh this is interesting and so that was actually I think that was before the actual breakup had happened that I had just gotten into yoga and then when it um happened I continued with that and that really helped me start to process and in addition to that I started kind of adopting more yoga principles not that yoga is rooted in buddhism but kind of like spirituality in general I started yeah. reading a lot reading of like spiritual texts someone gave me the book when things fall apart by Pema Chodron which like mm-hmm. changed my life because it helped me change my relationship to sadness. Until that point, I had just, um, I just numbed any uncomfortable emotion that I experienced through, again, my eating disordered behavior. Oh my gosh, love that, living beautifully. Yes, such a good one. Um, She is everything. Um, But you know, she, so, so I kind of like, I actually very viscerally remember this moment where, you know, for the first couple of weeks, or maybe it was the first few days, I, like, woke up in my apartment in Vancouver, British Columbia, is where I was living. And I, it's like, you know, you wake up from the breakup. And I'm not sure if you remember this from your divorce or if this resonates. But, like, I to, I, I've still, been going through a breakup this past year as well, so I've been experiencing this again. But you have dreams that you're back together, right? Like, the person is just infiltrates your dream, Sure, are there, and sure. you're back together. And, you know, or they're coming back and they want to make things work. And you experience this relief in your dream. And then you wake up. And for like a split second, you're like, oh, everything's okay. And then like reality sets in. And it's just this. Oh, so you're almost like, like
0: re-traumatizing yourself.
1: At every morning. It's just like, oh fuck, like yeah. this is the reality I'm dealing with. And for so long, for, for not for so long, but for at least a few days or weeks, I can't quite remember, because it was more than a decade ago at this point. I remember being like, Oh, like you're too good for him. And like, don't feel that man. I was trying to sit in anger because anger, Mm -hmm. as we we know as therapists, much of the time, anger is just a secondary emotion. It's a response Mm -hmm. to something more vulnerable. It's a way of protecting Mm -hmm. ourselves from the shame, from the rejection, from the hurt, whatever. So I was trying to sit in anger. And then finally, and that was hard, like, that's like that, like, you know, one of my favorite spiritual sayings is pain times struggle equals suffering. And so, like, I was Mm -hmm. in pain and I was struggling against it being like, no, you can't feel this. But I was creating more suffering as a result of that. Like, I was was white knuckling it through. And so, you know, I finally was like, after reading When Things Fall Apart, I was like, let me try this thing that she suggests. And I was like, hey, sadness, like, what's up? Like, you can be here. Hey. And there was this relief and kind of this like, I mean, it was very vulnerable to actually let myself feel the sadness, but there was this relief and being like, I can live alongside this. Like I can keep living my life sad, you know, it's not gonna last forever. And that's a huge component to spirituality is this idea of impermanence, right? So reminding myself, okay, I can actually learn how to be with my uncomfortable emotions as a child. I couldn't right, because I didn't have the support there. So I had to learn how to manage them by like numbing or suppressing or, you know, being in that sort of codependent position. But as an adult, like I can, I can learn how to support myself through pain. So that was like a really monumental shift um, along with this, this, this idea that like, Hey, It doesn't matter how thin you are. It doesn't matter how successful or what, you know, accolade or degree you get. Like, everybody gets hurt and everybody's going to suffer through pain in their lifetime. And so accepting that, I mean, that's sort of the foundational principle, again, to to spirituality or to Buddhism is, like, the first noble truth is, like, life is painful, right? And so really understanding that, like, it was it was super painful, but it was liberating because it's like, oh, I've not been dealt a bad hand. It's not like I'm like unique or anomalous. Like this is just life. Like heartbreak is part. I mean, I think we're lucky. Those of us who get to experience heartbreak in life are lucky because it is such an opportunity for healing our relationships to ourselves and our trauma and learning how to cope with discomfort and like, you know, being able to have perspective and Mm -hmm. um, become much more resilient, all these sorts of things. So those were a couple of the things. And then you know, honestly, I, I start, I started dancing in my room, which is, I know sounds so bad, Mm. but I remember the only thing that actually like helped me maybe distract myself or maybe like release some of the trauma was like, just listening to like, like music. I can't remember something like Beyonce and stuff. Like it was like really like top 40 music. And I just like would Mm -hmm. dance and I would just try to like dance my way through it. And
0: but how I long every every today. night a song a night like, every, when was, um, like it was
1: just like whenever i was really struggling like i would just like put on like i mean mm. and what was interesting too is i was unemployed at this time as well i started working at the yoga studio because i couldn't get mm-hmm. a job as a therapist but it was like a really challenging time like i was like yeah. okay i've just finished seven years of school i've never not been in school i can't get a job i'm heartbroken i'm like struggling with recovery from eating disorder which means weight gain or what meant weight gain in my case it was like I had like no ego left. Like I was just like yeah, like yeah. like who am I? I am nothing. I've lost everything, right? And so, you know, I started like dancing in my room and I got back playing soccer, which like, you know, got back like on a sports team, which felt like, you know, community. And I started reconnecting to people because I'd really isolated myself both in my relationship and in my eating disorder. And, you know, I think because I I'd, I'd grown up so young, I kind of had this idea that at like 24, however old I was, I was like too old for partying and, you know, going out and like having fun. Like I should mm-hmm. just be like working. And I kind of just, like, abandoned all that, and I just, like, found my inner child again and just started, like, playing. And, like, I just mm. remember, honestly, like, it's not that I necessarily suggest this as a, as a um, recovery strategy, but I started partying a lot. Like, I'd, like, you know, whatever. Like sure. it's, it's not even that I was, like, drinking that much or anything. I wasn't doing any illicit drugs or anything, yeah. but I just started, like, going out and connect because I know that what I needed was, like, love and connection and to be reminded that, like like, I can exist within community. I don't necessarily need to be in a relationship, but I do need relationships and connection and love around me of people who, you know, love and accept me.
0: I want to highlight something. Yeah. Uh, Yoga, you dropping into your body, uh, crying, and um, the dancing in your uh, apartment reminds me of um how trauma is stored in our body reminds me of uh, i haven't totally. read it yet but the the, the body keeps the score the body keeps we're seeing story, a lot yeah, yeah. We're, we're promoting a lot of books <laughs> in this podcast yeah. um but Love yeah that. but classics right And in, in that book uh i think the reason why it got so uh, popular was because um that yeah the there's stuff stored in our bodies and you know we try to outthink think totally. things but what you were doing is through yoga you were releasing and then through you know, uh, dancing in the dark, you were <laughs> really Totally.
1: Seeing... Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've been like deep down like this, uh, psychedelic hole recently, um, which I like, I'm super into. And, um, with this, you, especially with this. Done? Oh my gosh. I mean, I've done ayahuasca. So, I mean, in a therapeutic way. Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, in, in like a ceremonial therapeutic setting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and most recently, like, yeah, I did a booth of ceremony, which is, um, the five MEO DMT. Um, how, so how was that it? was, it was incredible. Like it was, and, and mm-hmm. look, I mean, I want to, you know, give all the caveats and everything. Like mm-hmm. this is something that should really only be explored if you have like a, you know, yeah. um, a foundation, I would say of knowing how to be with discomfort Um, And a, a very skilled, you know, practitioner who's going to facilitate the ceremony for you. And it is something you feel called to. And, you know, you don't have any sort of contraindications and whatnot in terms of what medications you're taking or any kind of like vulnerabilities to psychosis. Like we can go on about all those things. But I would say for me, especially with this most recent breakup which really kicked up a lot of my childhood stuff because uh, it was, I think uh, the whole purpose of that last relationship was to understand my father and like, you know, what mm-hmm. he was dealing with and have more compassion for him and also realize that it was never about me um, in terms of his inability to, to really like show up and love me as a child or today. Yeah. um. So, you know, but there was a lot that got kicked up in that. And so on my journey, I found myself, you know, exploring more psychedelic practices And, you know, this most recent one, especially, I was like, holy shit, trauma is 100% stored in our bodies. Any question I had about that before was removed. Like, I, like, you know, scream cried without, like, I I watched myself scream cry, like, through this process, um, Mm -hmm. sort of in a, like, semi dreamlike state type thing. And I really believe it was just releasing. It was like, I was a little child kicking and screaming. And it's like, I felt like I was having the temper tantrum I had when I was, or needed to have for all those years when I was this scared child that couldn't express my emotions because no one was there to take care of me.
0: That's so important. I'm glad you're saying this. And I think um, many who are listening, um, they may start by taking you up on just Something simple as just dancing in your room.
1: Totally. And how yes. it
0: feels. And it does, you know, it sounds silly on the surface, but it's not because what you're really doing is um you're releasing. You're releasing. Yes, you know?
1: Yes. And grief, I mean, grief and trauma are stored in our bodies, right? All of our emotions are stored mm-hmm. in our bodies. And what we experience is like a story that we attach to them, but really it just comes back to our sensations in our body. And that's what emotions are, you know? And really, even like the emotions themselves, like, um, I read a great book recently on the topic of books it was called how emotions are made or something like that. And it kind of um, challenges some of these other theories that we have around like, okay, well, you know, there's, yes, there's an evolutionary purpose to emotions like that we know, but they're not necessarily uniform across cultures. Like certain ones might be in some ways, but mm-hmm. really like, you know, we could experience um, sort of like fluttering in our stomach and our chest or whatever. And it could be that we're, we're nauseous and, you know, we have a, a, a flu coming on, but we interpret that as anxiety. And then we're like, oh, I'm anxious. And we create a story to make it about us feeling anxiety when actually mm-hmm. it's like a physical sensation because that's what emotions are. So, um, so, so you know, so much of our, our work in healing and processing emotions is trying to get, not to get too caught up in the story. Like, yes, the story can be important, but it's oftentimes a, like just a theory or a lie for that matter, um, a story, exactly as I just said. And so really what we want to do is we want to just like move that through our body because it's supposed to rather than repressing it and like pushing it down further. And so much research suggests that like at the root of much um, malady, is that the right word? Malady, like sickness, illness, whether it's Mm -hmm. psycho, spiritual or physical is because of repressed emotions and that we haven't we haven't expressed them. We haven't processed them. So, yeah, dancing, acupuncture, massage, um, even just like going for a walk and being in your body, what we call embodiment, just like being and experiencing that. The the thing is, the really important thing, John, is that, like, for many of us, we learn it's not safe to be in our bodies. And that's what trauma Mm -hmm. recovery work is all about. It's creating a safe space within ourselves to be able to experience pain because trauma cuts us off from it because we learned at one point. It's not safe to be in your body. You have to cut yourself off from your experience. Whether Mm -hmm. we experienced, you know, bullying or abuse or neglect or whatever, we learned at a young age that it's not safe to be in our body. And so what what we do through recovery is learn how to actually reconnect to our body and remind ourselves we are safe now. We can um, be in what we call the window of tolerance, if you're familiar with, like, polyvagal theory, and I don't want to be too jargony here, but like, if you're familiar with this idea of, okay, we've got, we go into a state of like hyper arousal or hypo arousal. And that's oftentimes what's at the root of like mental illness. It's Mm. that we have a dysregulated nervous system. So our nervous system is supposed to be in this place called the window of tolerance. And that's where we feel like focused and calm and like, we're able to connect to others and whatnot. It's that like tend and befriend parasympathetic nervous system response. Whereas, you know, when the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, which is fight or flight or freeze in some cases, um, then we do tend to find ourselves in that state of like hyper arousal, which is like anxiety or rage or, you know, anger or whatever, or hypoarousal is, you know, depression or feeling like mm-hmm. paralyzed or dissociated. So, um, yeah, go
0: ahead. Do you no, think that... After, so after my divorce, and that was the big one for me, um, I gravitated toward CrossFit. And I wonder yeah. if, if that was um, my way of releasing, you know, my emotions. I also, you know, uh, got obsessed with motorcycles and hugging canyons yeah. here in Malibu in, in L.A., spending a lot of time riding. Um, and there, and the, the riding motorcycles is like dancing in that you kind of dance with your motorcycle. You kind of become one. You hit flow states. And I wonder if totally. that was a, was a release for me. You know, Absolutely. I, think, I mean, I, I would
1: imagine know. so. Yeah, to- yeah, totally. Totally. And, 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 you know, I think for me, like I, I haven't run since that time. Like I really, I'm like, if I go for a run, I'm like, I don't know. It's like, there's just really no other way I can get my heart rate up or something, but I don't run anymore at all. You know, I, I dance and I play tennis and soccer and stuff like that. Um, but yes, I think that we are, we're naturally gravitating towards movement like our body we we want to move as humans you know and that's why i think it's so sad that like you know we have um put movement into this box of like exercise that's all about like weight loss and whatnot because sure like there are obviously health benefits that are, are physiological when it comes to exercise and you know it helps with um I mean, you know, obviously longevity and, you know, mood and sleep and all these sorts of things, but really like we're meant to move, like we're meant to dance. We're meant to like, you know, sort of like run and jump and like be agile and whatnot. And so I I feel sad that so many people, and I had to negotiate this in my own recovery journey with eating disorders, they have a very unhealthy relationship to exercise where it's punitive and it's all about like compensatory, like, oh, I ate too much and therefore I need to exercise as opposed to like, let me like move the emotions through my body and like reconnect mm-hmm. to myself and come home and help me like, regulate my nervous system so that I can like be in a calm, connected state. Um, you know, I wish that was kind of more the culture around exercise or movement than than what it is today.
0: Do you think that um, this explosion of ice bath is uh, also a way to um, calm your nervous system or no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually, you know, I'm not an expert on any of that, like, sort of Wim Hof type stuff, but yeah, I know that yeah. that it very much um, is in that realm of, like, stimulating the vagus nerve, which is the yeah. nerve that actually helps um, regulate our nervous system, right? So mm. all of those practices I mentioned stimulate our vagus nerve, and that's the nerve that runs basically from, like, our brain down through our stomach and down our spine and whatnot. And so it kind of, like is that, like, connects mind and body. And so, you know, there is a theory that, like, if we stimulate the vagus nerve, then we're able to switch more into to that like regulated nervous system state yeah. where we're not hyper or hyper arousal. Exactly, better sleep, able to be yeah. calm. And like, we feel mentally well, we don't need to rely on addictive substances or mm-hmm. any substance for that matter to numb because we can be with our experience. So really like so much of mental health and and healing from, you know, heartbreak comes down to learning how to be with discomfort, right? And having the tools to regulate that discomfort and, and be with ourselves and support ourselves through that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the journey, I think, for so many of us.
0: Hey, I want to do something. Uh, this would be if uh, this podcast episode was a book. This is the part where it says, <laughs> here are some questions to ask yourself. Not to be cheesy, but um, with this topic, what are some things that, just to bring it to street <laughs> level, what are some things that the listener can do to uh, regulate? You know, and, and we talked about yoga. We talked about, you know, exercise. Uh, possibly mm-hmm. ice I baths, what are some other things they can do yeah. to start regulating and focusing on uh, their nervous system instead of just you yeah. know, all the distorted thinking that we live in?
1: Yeah. So I think um reconnecting to one's body is a journey, right? And it's interesting because many of us who are quite perfectionistic and have like high expectations for ourselves and are used to like not failing at things because we avoid anything that we might fail at. Um, we have high expectations in this area as well. And we think, okay, well, I need to know you know, I need to be able to be like super aware of like what's happening in my body right away. And I need to know the perfect thing. And the reality is it takes a long time to reconnect to our body when we've been shut off yeah. from it. So for example, um, you know, I, I remember again. This was about a decade ago. I did have a Vipassana retreat, which is uh, like a ten-day silent retreat. Yeah, 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 where you're like, you Meditating yeah,
0: for like eleven hours at a time. Or something, yes, something crazy. To, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really intense. Like you, yeah, you're up at 4 a.m., like you're meditating yeah. 10 hours a day, you're yeah. not moving, you can't look anyone in the eye, you can't speak, you can't read, you can't write, you can't listen to music, you can't exercise. Like, it is like, be with yourself. But the meditative technique is all about reconnecting to your body. And it was so fascinating because on day one, it was like, okay, be aware of the space underneath your nose and pay attention to that. And I was like, I can't feel this. What do you mean? Like, like notice the space under my nose mm-hmm. and as days went on, suddenly I became, I could feel the space under my nose. And not only that, but through the technique, you start to become very aware of like, okay, eventually your body scanning and it feels at a certain point, like a pail of water is being poured over your head and you can feel it scanning up and down. And that was mm-hmm. such an interesting experience for me in connecting to my body. And at the end of that retreat, I re- retreat. Quote unquote, it's so not a relaxing thing, but, yeah. um, so it's called Chinese that, wire culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. At the end of that course, I remember like, I I had always been able to like spread my toes on my right foot, but I couldn't spread them on my left. And at the end, I could suddenly spread the toes on my left foot. And it was really Mm -hmm. interesting. So I was like, wow, I actually, over these 10 days, really did connect to my body. And, you know, yoga obviously helps with that. Acupuncture helps with that. All of these bodily practices help us start to connect to our body. And so, what I would say for people is start with a meditative practice that is maybe Mm -hmm. a body scan. Like, it's not just about focusing on a mantra. A lot of us, when we do meditation, we're like, we say a a mantra if it's PM or, you know, we like focus on a thought but really try to focus more actually on like becoming aware in your body and trust that like, this is a process. This takes a long time before we fin- we finally reconnect because for good reason, we've shut ourselves off from our bodies and we are completely disconnected. And so now yeah. I'm like, I'm at the point now where I go into acupuncture, to my act I'm like, Ooh, I actually know, no, no, go a little bit up into the right and like down there. And then, yeah, that's the spot. And then she can like, you know, hit it. And then like, mm-hmm. she hits the trigger point. And she's like, how do you, can you tell exactly like, I, know, I just, I know my body now. Right. But so that's the same thing with like becoming aware of our emotions and becoming aware of, again, when our nervous system needs to be regulated. That's what this comes down to. So many of us don't realize when we're in a dysregulated state. And so, we might not realize it until we've already reacted, you know, we've already had like had the freak out at our partner or we've already like found ourselves like deep in the pail of ice cream or, you know, the bottle of wine or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And so I would say, um, I would encourage people to first of all um, reflect on maybe what some of those more like objective measures are of when they find themselves in that state where it's like too late, you know? Like, okay, well that probably means my, reg- my nervous system was dysregulated because I engaged in some sort of like unserving coping mechanism, you know? Um, or uh, there's actually some great lists out there in terms of, okay, when you're feeling really agitated, you know, when you are um, find yourself like speaking too quickly, like I'm a fast talker as it is, but mm-hmm. I do notice like there are times where I'm speaking more quickly and I'm maybe like feeling more anxious, you know? Or on the other side of that spectrum, Hypoarousal arousal state, you know, maybe you just feel like you can't get out of bed or you're super sluggish or you can't focus. So there are, I would actually just say like, Go to the internet for those questions because it's going to be much more um, informative than what I'm offering right now. Is like, how do I know my nervous system is dysregulated? It would be the question I would ask people to put into Google um, instead yeah. of asking themselves. Right. And then, um, and then also, I would encourage them to adopt some kind of regular practice where they're trying to like become aware of their body because what happens mm-hmm. there is once we become more aware of our body, then we notice more in real time when we're dysregulated versus when it's too late, basically, and we've already oh, you can catch it a dysregulation. You can catch it. You're like, oh, interesting. Like, I'm noticing my nervous system's really dysregulated right now. What do I need? And in my case, Mm -hmm. it's like, I need to dance, you know, (laughs) or I need to call a friend. Like, oftentimes, it's we we self-regulate and we co-regulate our nervous system. So self-regulation, it's just what it sounds like. Self-regulation is, you know, when we do something on our own. Co-regulation is when we regulate in the presence of others. Usually when we're like anxiously attached, we tend to prefer co-regulation and we need to learn how to self-regulate. When we're avoiding Mm -hmm. attached, we prefer self-regulation and we need to learn how to um, to co-regulate. Exactly. So it's like just we need to become more comfortable with each one of those and and still use all of those um, techniques. But yeah. Are you anxious or avoidant? Anxiety. I mean, come on, John, what do you think? Like, I'm like well, I'm like, I assume you're, like, age.
0: well, I'm also yeah, yeah. anxious attached no, as well. Totally, yeah. totally.
1: No, you know, I know I'm just kidding. Sorry. That sounded actually like quite mean the way that I responded to that. I was just joking. Cause I feel like I'm like, seem so anxious. Um, no, no, no. But, um, but, I. Uh, but you know, wait, say, so then
0: are you attracted to avoidance or have you? Have very very much so.
1: Very much so. Mm, like, yeah, I am like a fucking, again, I mean, I can smell an avoidant. It's amazing. It's like a, it's like, put me in a party and, and I will find the most avoided man in the room. It's, it's almost incredible like it's like a i think it's like a sensory thing like i just yeah. don't have to open the mouths and i and i can just right. tell so um you know that's where i think there is just so much to what we're attracted to that's like that familiarity of childhood and like mm-hmm. we sense you know the pheromonal piece and like how somebody stands and like their voice and whatever else so you know my work around all of that has been um Learning to identify my own needs and express those and you know walk away when things aren't serving me, even though it's terrifying because yeah that triggers my abandonment wound, right? But like if if you know there isn't that reciprocity or that mutual buy-in or whatever, like after a certain point, those of us who are anxious have to stop abandoning ourselves and have to choose us, even though that's scary because we think we won't survive on our own, but we will, you know, like which I've mm-hmm. proven to myself again and again with every heartbreak or heartache.
0: I hope if you're listening to this and by the way, Megan and I, if you put us in a room, we could talk for hours I know. Oh and my uh, God, I there's going to be, and, and you know, there's going to be many, many episodes, um, whether, uh, uh, Megan is uh, talking to you by herself or with guests or, or whatever. Uh, but I want to kind of, um, I want to end here because I don't want to give you too much where you end up doing nothing. And so I think the takeaway with here is under the umbrella of connecting to yourself. Um, Going into the door of dropping into your body, being aware of totally. your nervous system, getting out of panic, fight or flight, yeah. and then you know whatever that looks like for you, it could be yoga, it could be crossfit, it could be motorcycles, it could be dancing. It doesn't matter. It's different, but whatever that is, make that your daily routine. You know, you totally. don't have to go and, and meditate for eleven hours a day. That's not. And by the way, when you were saying stuff like that, I it, I, I, fe- I felt like such a poser because I have not done that. I've not done the psychedelics that I'm very curious about. I I have not done all the things that you have done. Um, So it makes me feel like, uh, do as I say, John, that you, as you, I do. You have, <laughs> yeah. you, no, you know what it is. I've just been you just ha- you,
1: and, and well, no, I just perceive you. You haven't. You haven't been in enough pain recently, right? Like it's like we do this stuff in yeah, a state of desperation. Sure. Like, that's why many of us explore these things is because we're like, I am so uncomfortable with my current reality that I will try this scary, uncomfortable thing in pursuit of of some sort of you know trade off. So I would say that's probably just a testament to the work you've already done and the life you've created for yourself, which doesn't or, really like. you into that place of needing, yeah or maybe um
0: maybe it's time i need my heart broken you know yeah yeah totally i
1: mean it's it (laughs) is i will say it's funny like at at this at this place i'm in right now where it's been almost it's been about 10 months since my last like massive fucking heartbreak um and i'm finally in a place where i'm like oof like i feel really strong as a result of that like that was like it was worth it you know but in those moments you're like oh this is so hard um but let me just say one thing in response to what you said about getting into your body totally i think that's a great takeaway for everybody the one thing i will say too is don't expect to enjoy the process like think of it like going to the gym right like you go to the Mm -hmm. gym and you are Mm -hmm. putting yourself into a place of discomfort to build your muscles and build your Mm -hmm. your your, um, strength right and we're helping you build your emotional strength through turning inward to your body and sometimes being in a state of pain but the one thing you can do to um really make it easier is practice self-compassion so give yourself permission to feel sad and feel uncomfortable and feel anxious all of that is okay you're not failing if you feel those things you're just human you're having a very normal human response likely to whatever the circumstances are that you're in and even if it's not the the normal response to the circumstances you're in it's a normal response because based on your you know lifetime and your trauma and whatever you've been through your wiring it's the response based on like it makes sense based on what you've been through so Really validate your experience and and remind yourself like you're not going to die from feeling this pain. As a child, that's what you thought, and so you had to shut it off. But as an adult, you're you're not going to like we we're meant to feel our feelings. Like it's and it's some days it's fucking great, and other days it's like you know it's like surfing, right? Sometimes you catch it. It's very cliche, but sometimes you catch the wave, and other times you get like fucking smoked with the board in your head, and like you know like you're spitting under, yeah. and it's just awful, and you, come, you get up and you're spitting out water, and you're like oh god, like I swallowed a bunch of salt water. Like am I gonna die? Like that's how this feels, you know? And so it doesn't, you're, you're going to move through that. And with it, and you get to, the beautiful thing is you prove to yourself how resilient you are once you come to the other side of that wave, right? You're like, okay, I can do this. I can go back into the water again. And really perfectionism is what holds us back from taking risks in life and from living, you know, life to the fullest and whatnot. And so once we prove to ourselves that we can handle the you know, getting smoked in the waves, then we're way more able to take these risks and and love again, you know, and like, take because it's like, okay, like, I might get hurt, but also I can get through it because I have the tools to be able to navigate that. So learning how to regulate your nervous system, practicing self-compassion, knowing like the resources within you and outside of you to be able to navigate heartbreak are so important to be able to like date in fucking 2022, where it's a shit yeah. show out there. That'll be another episode for us. Like the stuff
0: that we're dealing with <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm in it right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I'd say just, just, um, alongside that somatic or like bodily practice, just like remind yourself, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You're training your muscles. It's, it's just like going to the gym, but for your, your heart.
0: I love it. Um, Megan, thank you so much for, for being here today. Uh, Megan is very busy. And so uh, when she has time to jump on our little rotating carousel of wellness uh, known as a thing on purpose podcast, uh, what are some ideas for people listening that uh, you're thinking about uh, doing on the show?
1: Well, it's funny. I was actually um, my good girlfriend um, in, in Nashville, who I lived with um, during this this last heartbreak, who you you'd reached out to me about. But um, she's a chef, but she actually like oh, yeah. has right. a course for combining like the grief when you're going through heartbreak and like what to eat mm, how to navigate it and like kind of like yeah. a really unique tailored program so i was thinking like she and i might also talk about her i love it and like riff I on that it. and like how to navigate yeah. that i mean i'm like kind I, of reached, deep down I reached the- out to
0: you about her because i thought cooking nutrition i don't have anyone in that category yeah. so if there's a fun way we can do that because i know when i was single i mean shit, i don't know how to cook i don't know you know and so um totally. the kitchen can the kitchen can be a therapeutic space so that that's yeah, something yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. No, she, she is great. Um, I find, um, so, you know, I know I use terms like NPD and BPD, which stands for Mm -hmm. narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. But um, more recently, we're kind of looking at all of these, like, quote unquote, personality disorders um, under this lens of what we call CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. which is really just like a a response to relational trauma or attachment trauma. So I kind of want to, um, I haven't figured out, like, what I want this one to look like, but I do think it could be valuable for people to, especially in this day and age, um, understand if they are dating somebody who's more on that spectrum and like how to identify it and how to perhaps either extricate themselves from the relationship, because it can be very difficult when you're trauma bonded in those things, mm-hmm. um, or if not, you know, to sort of know what to look for when dating um, and how to kind of show up for ourselves versus getting into those codependent dynamics, which is what I find myself in.
0: I love um, it. I love it.
1: And I also think that if you haven't done this already, Like, I just, it's so interesting. So many of my clients who are single, like, you know, we talk about, like, their attachment trauma and this and that and, like, what they can do. But I don't think we're recognizing enough that, like, dating in this day and age, this is unprecedented times. But, like, it really is, like, we're making history right now. So therapists will be like, oh, you know, I'm 60 years old and I've been married for 40 years. I'm like, these are the things you should do. And it's like, no, we're, we're dealing with... Social media, which creates completely unrealistic expectations for everyone in terms of like what they should look like physically, what a relationship should look like, Mm -hmm. which does the same thing for sex Um, Mm -hmm. and dating apps, which is like, you know, paradox of choice. You, You know, you can just easily swipe to the next person the moment things get hard. You know, we've got constant technology to be able to keep us, um, in contact or feeling connected. So we're not looking as much to relationships for that. We've got all sorts of other things that are getting in the way of us being able to develop healthy relationships as singles. And especially, you know, at, at this age, um, there are really, um, most of the people left in the dating pool do have some kind of attachment insecurity because yeah. the people who are secure and healthier have kind of self-selected out and gotten married. So, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge just what we're actually working with, like at this time as singles and learn how to not personalize it all so much and see like, okay, let's work with the reality that like, actually, I think it's 31% of Americans will be lifelong singles. And that's not to be fatalistic about it and like, okay, you're never going to find that person, but you know, how can we actually like accept the reality of what we're dealing with and adjust to a new paradigm versus trying to like, they'll act like we're still in the seventies and, you know, you're just going to get married to the person who like lives down the street or is like the daughter of your mom's friend or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what, and and then um, the last one too, is that I do think it's really important for us to talk about um, how so often we have this like vision of relationships as like being the fantasy that solves all of our problems and makes us happy. Um, And that's actually just, it's really sad to have to admit this reality, But that's actually just a coping mechanism and a way of like avoiding doing the work. And what we have to acknowledge as, you know, singles or people in relationships is that, you know, I think you said this, like nobody is coming to save you, right? Like Mm -hmm. there is not somebody out there that's going to like, you know, make you happy maybe for a couple of years because that honeymoon stage, there's all the dopamine and oxytocin and norepinephrine and serotonin and all those things. So there is a bit of an addictive component to love and dating that kind of, um, distracts us from like our inner world and our challenges. But after a while, like, you still have to come home to yourself. So I think it's really important to talk about kind of the fantasy that, um we attach to as singles and thinking when we meet that person, everything is going to be better. And instead, like have to have a word with ourselves and be like, yo, like this sucks to admit that that's a fairy tale, that that's the Santa Claus basically of adulthood is this idea that relationships are going to like make us happy forever. And then also be like, okay, so I actually then have to turn inward and do the work to heal my trauma and love myself and learn how to be with discomfort and find meaning and purpose and all those sorts of things. So those are just a few ideas off my head, but I'll come up with more.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, more of Megan coming soon. And also <laughs> uh, it was Vanessa who says, um, um, no one's coming no one's to, save, to you. save you. And I think yeah. she said that to me when I asked her if she was coming to save me. And she said, no, no one's going to save you. Anyway, <laughs> I love that. More, That's great. more, more, more of Megan. Uh, where can we find you? And um, give us one thing that uh, that you want to plug or promote. You know, you're know, you building a lot of things. You're doing a lot of things. So sure. I where, mean, where, where, I'm where can we really... find you? <laughs>
1: Um, You can find me. um, Instagram is probably my most active platform, although Mm -hmm. honestly, I'm like not the best with social media, but um, it's just my name, Megan J. Bruno, M-E-G-A-N-J-B-R-U-N-E-A-U. You can also find me on my website, MeganBruno.com. Um, I would say in terms of like what to plug, if you want to work with me or a therapist on my team or a coach on my mm-hmm. team, like reach out nice. and, you yeah. know, I've got someone to set you up with. Um, I do have an Amazon book that's called How to Be Alone yes. and Together. Um, yeah. lessons on being at peace with yourself. So that's some just kind of like little nuggets of, of wisdom to help, um, you heal your relationship to yourself. Um, but honestly, like what I'm working on mostly these days is like myself <laughs> so that yes. I can like really put the information out there with like that authority that I, I question whether or not I have in this moment, as I was talking about in the beginning of our session, like this past year, these past few years, honestly have been so profound for me in like reconstructing everything I believed previously and now being like, oh, this is how it is. And I've been so humbled. And I feel like I'm now on the cusp of like, I'm almost ready to like talk about it with authority. So I'm doing the I'm doing the research right now, the research, um, and I'll, uh, hopefully have more, um, wisdom to spout for you all soon.
0: Yeah. Follow her, get her book. It's on Amazon and, uh, more from Megan coming soon. Thank you for listening. Be well. Thank you, John. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story, and you can just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend.
2: So... I was divorced in March of 2018 and it was a whirlwind. I had, I used to see marriage as a self-sacrificing contract and that's kind of what I did. I married into multiple things that um, really kind of made me lose sight of myself. And in 2018, I found myself alone, financially devastated, and kind of at a loss of community. And so I decided to move back to Kansas. I am not from Kansas at all. I grew up overseas. I've lived in many different states, but Kansas was the place that I went to college, and out of all the places I had lived before, it was one of the few places that I had felt free and um, believed that I had expressed myself. So, being here in Kansas for the last four years, I made some really major decisions, like deciding to buy a house, um, when I myself have been transient in my marriage and in my childhood, but choosing to be grounded, um, I actually think is true to my nature. Uh, I, in the marriage, I was shy and kind of introverted, and, uh, I think me and you come from an immigrant household, so uh in school I was also deemed as introverted. When in reality, um now as a career I do stand up comedy and kind of eccentric um stand up comedy for uh different venues and um it's still something that I'm I guess I'm Moving towards, but it's also, I'm just giving myself kind of baby steps, allowing to see how that will progress um, with time. I didn't realize that my marriage, like the end of my marriage, was really a death of who I had been. And um, about two years ago, I decided to become a certified end of life doula. And that with the comedy (laughs) as, um, you know, as like kind of polar that is, uh, really helped me grieve through what I believe was one of the biggest deaths of my life. Um, and I've been able to thrive in singlehood is what I would call it. Um, I listen to you and your wife's podcast, I recently bought one of your books, um, I can relate so much on, you know, learning how to choose me and being patient in that journey because I am still learning how to choose myself. Um and choose myself in the way that best suits me, uh, instead of what everyone else is, you know, maybe projecting or, no, I don't want to say that. Uh, choosing myself in the way that I feel like was stifled for years, um, mostly, you know, um, my responsibility, uh, yeah so i thought i'd send this recording it's only four almost five minutes long but good luck i'm excited to hear the the stories you do choose um and you're doing great work so it's an honor for you to listen to my voice (laughs)